Just a quick reminder that I do now have a second podcast called Track Nerds, where I have guests on to discuss travel, exercise, and movies and TV. Check it out. Okay, enjoy the show. Okay, so today we get Casablanca. Casablanca, however you say it. I think it, well, actually, so you may have found too. It is actually from the Spanish, so I guess we right. should pronounce it Casablanca. Cas- yeah, Casablanca. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because even though it was French occupied, and they kind of they took the name from the Spanish, so that was uh, interesting to find out earlier today. Which that was like a, a well. This is like a fun little side note. <laughs> Right off the bat, before we do anything, this whole podcast is fun little side notes. <laughs> but uh, at the beginning, when they're you know they do the little narration um, and they're the they, you see the spinning globe. Yeah, uh, I just thought it was interesting to see you know where the borders were drawn and what what countries were called back then. And oh, true, I uh, I didn't even yeah I kind of just zipped past that and didn't even didn't even think about it. I was probably just still getting still getting situated. And yeah. but yeah, it was so. This is probably the at least the fifth, maybe the sixth time I'd seen this movie. And it's one I've always said, well, probably after the third time I saw it, I was like, I like this movie better every time I see it. And this time, it's now crossed into the threshold of, I'm going to call it one of my favorite movies of all time, now that I've seen it five or six times, and it keeps getting better every time. I just think it's brilliant. It's so cool. It holds up. It's just so much fun and and i don't know it's kind of like badass and funny and sentimental but not overly so it's just it's awesome i love casablanca yeah it's a perfect amount of like suspense and comedy there's you know a, a bunch of funny parts in it right it's more of a comedy that i think the modern viewer would think like people are like oh that's like 70 years old i don't want to watch that like no right. it's it's legit funny and the jokes hold up it's not stuffy I mean, it's right. it's uh, it's it's definitely you know what it's every uh, you know top one hundred movies of all time list you know it, it's in the top five if not the very best right for a good reason yeah it's it's not stuffy it's not pretentious it's just it's a fun movie and the uh, the, the in writing circles the screenplay in particular is one that's awful, often cited as the greatest screenplay of all time. Mm-hmm. So yes, the movie won three only three Oscars: uh, best picture, best director, best screenplay, and then did get five other nominations. And it's one two where so first time I watched this movie, and again the story I always tell when I'm talking about Casablanca is I was like, okay, this is just so cliched. Every single line is just so cliched. And then like as I'm like three quarters of the way through the movie, I'm like, oh wait, duh, this is where they started. All those lines you've heard all your life. They're from Casablanca. Like, yeah, that's it's basically like this. You know, whenever you hear those cheesy lines, this is the movie that they're going for when they write that stuff. Which I think is funny. On the uh, Wikipedia page for this movie, they have AFIs. So they have all these different AFI lists that Casablanca has made. You know, and it's like you know, a- AFIs hundred years, hundred movies in ninety eight. It got number two in two thousand seven. It got number three. But in 2005, they did AFI's 100 Years, 100 Movie Quotes, oh. and it has six. Six, six of 100. Out of 100. <laughs> yeah, 67, 43, 32, 28, 20, and number five. Do you, do you have them right there? Go ahead and read them. Yeah. Uh, so number 67 is, of all the gin joints in all the towns and all the world, she walks into mine. Yep. 43, we'll always have Paris. Uh, 32, round up the usual suspects. 28, play as Sam, play as time goes by. Which is a common misquote. Yeah, but yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. People always say "Play It Again, Sam," which I think isn't there a a Woody Allen movie called "Play It Again, I, Sam"? I think so. Yes, but again, 
based off of the line in the film, but it just kind of misquoted. Right. Yeah. Yep. Uh, number 20 is Lewis. I think this is the beginning of a, or I guess it's Louie. Louie, yeah. I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. And then number five, of course, here's looking at you, kid. Yep. Yep. And, and, and that doesn't even get into the whole idea of, oh, his whole monologue at the end where you'll regret it. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon for the rest of your life. That's not even on the list. Right. <laughs> yeah. That, nope. Not even on the list. Right. And that's, <laughs> yeah, that's just, but it's, it's almost too long to be a quote though. It's almost like a whole, that whole monologue. Cause it gets in the whole, the problems that two people don't amount to a, you know, hill of beans in this crazy world. And all, Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Um, I, I guess so that it, there's a little note here. So it says that the, the hill of beans line was kind of like in the honorable mentions. I think it's also funny too. So, of all of the movies on the, that made the list for 100 years of 100 movie quotes, it had the most. The next two second most only had three. Oh wow! Double the second most. Yeah. Yes, it has. It had as many on the list as the next two most combined. Oh, so it almost left off some more stuff because, like, come on, it's just going to be the Casablanca list if we don't exactly if we yeah. don't draw a line somewhere. So we'll draw the line at double everybody else. <laughs> right. That's awesome. Yeah, so if you haven't seen Casablanca, oh my gosh, it, it do yourself a favor. It, it it goes by quick. It's way more engaging than you expect. It's only like an hour and 40 something minutes, too. It's not Yeah, yeah, yeah. About yeah, about, yeah, just over an hour 40. Great. I might I might watch it again here as soon as I can. Like it, it's it just so holds up. And they do a good job too of they they don't just spoon feed the audience. So like you you slowly learn about the past history between Rick and Ilsa. Like when she when she comes back into his you know proverbial gin joint there from his quote, you just know they have a history, but you don't know what it is, and you slowly learn. And then also as Rick learns, so we just you kind of know what information Rick had has first. Then you learn the larger story, and we're kind of jumping all over the place here. So let's uh let's get some world context here first. The movie is set in. December of 1941, which is, of course, the same year the Japanese bomb, uh, bombed Pearl Harbor and got the U.S. into the war. But that's not addressed at all. So it's actually kind of even unclear if the movie starts right before Pearl Harbor, right after Pearl Harbor. But it is in December, and the U.S. is on the precipice, if not already, in the war. But they're not really involved. Rick, played by Humphrey Bogart, is an American but his Americanness is basically irrelevant. And they actually kind of talk about how he's not allowed to go back to the States. Although, despite talking about his past, do they ever actually say why he's not allowed in the U.S.? I didn't catch it. Um, obviously, we know why he can't go back to France. Right. Um, but I don't I don't know if maybe I was not paying attention as, as much as I should have. But I don't I don't think they said it, of course. Now people are going to be like, no, of course they, you know, it's, it's this reason that they mentioned like, you know, five minutes in or whatever. But. <laughs> yeah. I would be curious to hear because so they do when, uh, when one of the characters is talking about his background, cause Rick does a good job of saying he's neutral again, we're going all over the place here. Let's let, let's reset. So December, 1941, we're in Casablanca, which is controlled by free France. So basically a faction of the French government that is not hasn't been conquered by the Nazis because they're over in Africa. And that whole thing is complicated, too. So I'd heard the term Vichy France, which basically after the Germans conquered France and took Paris in, what, 1940, spring of 1940, in early summer. And the capital of France moved to Vichy in the south. But Vichy France was still pretty much subservient to Germany, even though they were still running 
autonomously and on paper at war with Germany, but basically they didn't really do much. Is that a fair assessment from what you read? Uh, yeah, I actually didn't read much about uh, the the Vichy France uh, Nazi Germany relationship, but okay, because I had initially thought that okay, Germany basically just took northern France and then southern France kept fighting them, but that just in my, you know the research here that doesn't seem to be the case, and they were. Oh, complicit's a strong word. They were formally at war, but they were basically, I think they were just kind of doing what they could to save the French. Like, there was a lot of French soldiers that were being, I think, held hostage, and basically they had to at least not be openly hostile to Germany while running this Vichy France. And then there was other French territories, like Morocco, where Casablanca is, that... I think had to be. They could be a little more uh, not anti-German necessarily, because we even see the French uh, French guy in charge of policing Casablanca is uh, kind of subservient to the the Germans there too. So they kind of had to walk a fine line on ice there, where France was still part of the alliance, but didn't have the teeth they could have had if Germany wasn't in their backyard, basically, or actually in their living room, since they controlled Paris. So then Casablanca's come this kind of nexus of all different factions because it's not... So the French do control it. Germany had, doesn't have the resources or hasn't made an attempt to try to like fully conquer it, but they do have soldiers kind of coming through there. It's almost like it's neutral, but not neutral. And so the main reason it be, becomes important for our plot is that it is this hub that can get you a flight from Casablanca to Lisbon. And then from Lisbon, you can get to the United States. Right, which which I think that that was I think that's something that's kind of like exaggerated, or it may even be made up whole cloth for the movie. Oh, really? But the fact that the only place you could get to America from was Lisbon in in 1941. Oh, I didn't take it that way. I just thought you couldn't get there from Casablanca directly. I didn't think Lisbon was the only place, just the place that. Oh, I thought, you... I thought that's what the whole what the at the beginning that they said that you know everybody had to go. If you wanted to get to America, you had to go south to Marseille, and then you had to go to Algeria, and then over to Morocco, and then to Lisbon, and then to America. Or was that where they just oh, say that okay. that's maybe that's like just the people in France? But yeah, I saw it as two different things. Yeah, I saw the way out of France was the route they said. We have to go to Marseille, to Oran, or whatever the name was, then to Casablanca. Yeah. And then from there, you can, well, either stay in Morocco, where it was mostly safe if you're not you know, a resistance fighter, which we'll get into, but Lisbon was just the best way to get to the United States. But I think I thought you maybe could go elsewhere if you could. You know, a lot of people are trapped. But they though. do also they do also show they almost like make it a point to show how many different nationalities kinds of yeah. people nationalities are living in Morocco. In True, and they're all kind of stuck. Yeah, right. You see people from like Southeast Asia. There's the Russian guy that's the bartender. Obviously, Rick's American. Um, there's the, you know, the Brit that when they say, you know, he tells the, the bartender Cheerio. And so, you know, there's there's all these refugees that are trying to get out of Europe. And I guess maybe that's how it all. <laughs> I wish we kind of understood this better, but I, I think it is kind of complicated. So I think maybe that's why it is kind of this purgatory area, because you can get there mm-hmm. and it's mo- and it's because it's not completely allied or whatever. France is kind of in this weird kind of crippled uh, area. Or they're handicapped, you know. They just they don't they don't have their full strength. So you can get there, and you're not under German occupied France, but you're also kind of not free to go anywhere else you want. So it's safe-ish, but you also want to try to get there to get out. But it's basically you kind of have to 
bribe your way out of there. So it's 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 kind of this right. uh, it is kind of this purgatory that you might be able to bribe your way out of is probably the best way to say it. So it's a good place to get to because you're not at risk of being murdered by Nazis unless you're well not in theory because even even Victor Laszlo who comes up here they weren't going to straight up murder him I think right they were just going to they just wanted to detain him and keep him from oh well yeah so that that gets a little bit uh, ahead of where we're at but yeah no they they uh at least to each other I don't. I don't remember if they tell him this explicitly, but they at least to each other are like, you know what? This guy, he's we can't let him go to America because, uh, you know, we can't let this enemy of the Reich escape and we can't let him really. He's not going to go back to Europe because, you know, he's not going to just like willingly let us put him in a concentration camp again. And then at one point it was, oh, it's in the scene where they uh, where the Germans are playing the piano and singing their German song. Yes. And then uh, Laszlo comes in and gets everyone to sing. I don't know the name of the French song, but basically embarrasses the Germans. And I think at that point, Major Strasser, the Nazi, tells that French cop, he's like, you know what? I think we need to just get rid of this guy. He's going to be too much trouble. Gotcha. They didn't didn't initially plan on killing him, but now they feel like, well, okay, we were just okay with him staying here where he's out of, out of uh, not right. going to cause him as much trouble. But Plus in the scene where... Uh, where him and uh, Ilsa go to the uh, police station when they first get to Casablanca, they yes. kind of not really. Th- well, I guess it, it it is a threat. It's just like a thinly veiled one. When they they talk about the uh, the guy that they arrested that they were supposed to meet the night before in uh, at Rick's cafe. Oh right, uh, Peter Lorre, the one that yeah, yes, right. I forget the character's name. But uh, they, they, you know, he's sitting there. He's like, "Oh yeah, you know, I'm writing the report now. We haven't really decided yet if he killed himself or was killed trying to escape." But oh, the yeah. implication is, yeah, we straight up murdered that guy. And, right uh, in, cu- in police custody, we murdered him right. because you know yeah. that was fun. Right. Yeah. Because we're the no one can stop us. So yeah. Okay. So <laughs> let's uh, let's uh, let's go ahead and uh, and spell out the plot here, and we'll kind of we'll kind of obviously continue to interrupt it as we have been, <laughs> but. <laughs> So, so yes, the whole plot is kicked. So Peter Lorre, who is, uh, again, most people probably don't know the actor I'm referring to, but you'd probably recognize him even if you haven't seen Casablanca or you'd recognize his voice. He's, he was one who was, uh, he was parodied a lot in like Looney Tunes cartoons. He just has this very distinct, he's German himself and he just has this very distinctive voice and he's kind of like that typical Weasley guy you would have in a movie from the 30s or 40s. And he was also, the child murderer in Fritz Lang's M, if you ever saw that, he's the guy they're after. Yes. Yeah. That's actually a good movie. Yes. Yes. That's a really good movie. And I I guess I had thought he had a bigger role here. And I guess just because he has an important role. So we know that the police in Casablanca, this is not where I should at the beginning of the movie. The police in Casablanca are looking for a guy who had murdered two German couriers and stole the documents that they were carrying. They were basically a free, no questions asked pass out of Casablanca, almost to the point that these don't sound realistic. <laughs> like that any paper would have you no questions asked to get out of here. Right, because it's like, oh, these are letters, I don't remember, they like letters of transit or something that they call yes. them, but he's like, and they're signed by de Gaulle. It's like, okay, well, why would that, why would that matter to the Nazis? Wouldn't they just be like, uh, okay, like cool letters, bro, but you're not going anywhere. I think it's, well, I think but, it was more of, it's more of a, 
story device than it is like a realistic thing that someone might actually have. Which I agree, which is why I brought it up. But also to to, to the point you made, though, I, I think that's where it gets tricky. De Gaulle was more kind of in charge of, he wasn't in charge of Vichy France. He was in charge of Free France. So that was kind of separate. So again, it's, it's kind of that, it's just, it's this really this gray thing. So it is possible De Gaulle would have sway that Vichy France would not even against resisting Germany it's just really really complicated what the German influence and power actually was here they didn't they didn't control the area they couldn't necessarily keep the flights from going or people going in and out but they were trying to they were kind of trusting that the French wouldn't fight them too much on it so I think if someone did in theory have the Gauls go ahead they might have been able to get out way easier and the Germans wouldn't have been able to have the authority to kind of uh slow it down so I might have talked myself out of uh, thinking it was completely crazy. Uh, um, so anyway, so yes, uh, Peter Lorre's character, it's very, there, a lot, there's a lot of implications in this movie. Like they kind of hint at things, but they don't straight up say them. But again, in a way that is nice, it gives the audience some credit. So Lorre never says he's the guy that murdered them, but they were murdered and I have the papers. So you do the math. right? And he basically gives them to Rick. Again, Humphrey Bogart's character, who owns the main bar that the whole movie is basically set in. Like, almost every scene is in or near Rick's bar. And he wants Rick to hold on to him. So, like, if basically the heat gets on him, then he won't have the papers on him. But he's very quickly arrested and, as you said, murdered in police custody off screen. And he's now done. And Rick is now carrying these very important papers that are basically a free pass for two out of Casablanca. And then... That's when what we learn fairly quickly is his lost girlfriend shows up with Victor Laszlo, who is this huge player in the underground resistance against the the Nazis and against Germany. And just and basically, this is probably a good time to now talk about just what was the resistance, the underground resistance, if we're going to talk about that during World War II. Basically, it's just the people who were anything from small groups of, you know, guerrilla warfare or people who are putting out newspapers, leaflets, anti-Nazi propaganda, just trying to do anything they could to undermine the German cause, but not people who were specifically associated with with the state. So these weren't like, this wasn't like the British military. This wasn't the French military. It was just underground groups who were, you know, kind of networking as best they could in the 1940s, because obviously they didn't have like group text messages they could just kind of uh, be, be talking talking through. So Laszlo is completely fictional. In the story, the idea was that he uh, escaped from a concentration camp in Czechoslovakia and has been on the run from the Germans and has made it with his wife to Casablanca. And his wife is Rick's ex-girlfriend, who they had hung out together in Paris, departing right before or right as the Germans were invading. Is that pretty much get us to where we are in this yeah. point in the movie? Yeah. And uh, so from Rick's point of view, he had this girlfriend. They were madly in love. They, you know, you know I don't, they don't say how long they were together in Paris there, but, you know, weeks, months, whatever. Just the total, like, love story in Paris kind of thing. And then they're getting ready to leave town on the train. We get a lot of this in, in a flashback. And she just doesn't show up for the train, sends him the letter that says, I can never see you again. Don't ask why, yeah. but I do love you. Goodbye. And then basically he thought that was done. He thought he would never see her again the rest of his life. And now it's basically two years later. They don't, we kind of find out after, I guess you kind of have to do the math if, you know, Germans invade in what, you know, April of 40. And then this is now December of 41. So it's only been probably about 18 months since he's seen her. 
but he was devastated. The love of his life stood him up when they were trying to flee from the Nazis, and he just thought, well, she I'll never see her again. And then 18 months later or whatever, she walks into his bar in Morocco, and it just throws Rick's world completely upside down. And not only that, she's with this famous uh, Victor Laszlo guy, who again is fictional, who Rick's heard of. He's got this rep- his reputation. Rick's like, oh yeah, that guy's like a hero of the underground. Oh, he's married to my girlfriend? So he's just like super pissed. And there, it turns out they're there. They were the people who Peter Lorre was hoping to sell his papers to for a very high cost. Rick doesn't let on exactly that he has them, although the French lieutenant cop or whatever is pretty sure Rick has them. It's like everybody guesses Rick's ha- Rick has them. And they even let Laszlo now. Rick probably has them. But he doesn't come right out and say it for a while which is kind of funny that they don't just straight out try to confiscate them from rick but again it's part of that whole no one's really in charge thing and you don't really have enough evidence to take rick in because he hasn't actually done anything so you can't just search him because you're pretty sure the documents ended up with him anyway when rick is kind of passionately trying to remain maintain his neutrality and not say he's like hey i'm not for the nazis i'm not against the nazis i'm not for the allies i'm not against the allies i said i'm for me so the French inspector, Claude Rains' character, he kind of calls Rick's bluff and says, I've researched you, of course. You're not as neutral and selfish as you pretend. So he says, in 1935, you ran guns to Ethiopia. And now we don't get any more context. And mm. maybe the 1942-1943 viewer would have understood what he meant by that. But I think the modern American person just assumes... Yeah, okay, that's something good guys did in the in 1935. I don't know. So it was specifically referring to when the Italians took over Ethiopia. So you had just a lot of these countries were, you know, obviously Germany kind of got us into World War II with going after Poland. But, you know, obviously we already mentioned, you know, French controlled Morocco. Well, Italy had taken over Ethiopia. And there was just, and obviously Ethiopia didn't like it, so there was a fight. Okay, so it was the Second Italo-Ethiopian War from 1935 to 1937, and yeah, basically Italy was just trying to subjugate the Ethiopians because that's what Europeans did was take over African countries and Asian countries so that they could get their resources. Like it was just a thing then. Like the reason that Morocco is a French colony in this movie and Algeria and, you know, yeah, French West Africa. Yeah, exactly. And everything Britain had controlled. So, and it even kind of makes a a point here of saying, like, even at the time, both Italy and Ethiopia were members of the League of Nations. And the League was just like, uh, uh, this sucks. And so it was a little bit of a crisis. And it kind of did highlight how probably impotent the League of Nations was. And so, yes, this was Italy with Benito Mussolini. Even before Hitler started conquering stuff, the Italians were already taking over territory in Africa here. But it wasn't enough to get the whole world at war, even though it was still fascist Italy taking over stuff. Just like we talked about last week, that there was Japanese incursions that were definitely part of it that predate this, that you know are fighting that continued into World War II, but aren't considered necessarily the common start of World War II. Anyway, so yes, Rick was on the side of running guns in Ethiopia against the fascists so again not a guy who was neutral and then the other example they give is in 1936 in spain you fought on the loyalist side now this is complicated and we're not going to do a whole side episode here about the spanish civil war but it is talking about the spanish civil war and again on the side that was against franco and what is commonly considered the bad guy side in that war 
and it was a mess. I, I watched a I watched a video just before we got on here to kind of give me a quick rundown of the Spanish Civil War. Oh my gosh, so complicated. Right, that's like that'd be like give me the cliff notes for the the Russian Revolution. You know, it's it's just one of those Very things similar. where there's just so much involved. There was just a, it was just it was just a nation that was in flux all through the 30s. There, they were just constantly changing what was happening. So I guess at the beginning of the 30s, they did have the monarchy. But then the monarch had kind of set up a military guy to where he basically had the power of a dictator. So the monarchy was basically propping up a dictatorship. And then pro-democracy forces come in and they do kind of set up more of a Republican democracy. And there's just lots of little factions. It's very similar to Russia, a million little parties that kind of then end up clustered together into two factions with... Uh, is it Francisco Franco? I forget his name off the top of my head, but the the guy who basically ends up controlling Spain and was kind of a fascist light. He wasn't as fascist as Germany or Italy, but definitely rightfully seen as the bad guy side in this conflict because he was kind of basically was a fascist against more pro-democracy forces. But even the pro-democracy forces and the loyalist side also had like communists and socialists in with it. And there was a lot of infighting. And anyway, so the book For Whom the Bell Tolls is a Hemingway book set during the Spanish Civil War, also fighting against the Franco side, the the nationalists they were called. So yes, Rick was on the quote good guy side there because it was kind of the pro-democracy, anti-fascist light side. So yes, two examples that, that again, I went into the detail I did there because it is kind of still part of our timeline. This is, you know, this is kind of this pre-World War II stuff that was going on in the world. And the Spanish Civil War is the reason Spain was neutral during World War II. So even though they were a little fascist light, they weren't ready to fully commit to join with Germany and Italy, partly because they had just finished their own civil war and really didn't have the resources to participate in further conflict but also because they weren't willing to completely go with Italy and Germany. And actually near the end of World War II, it sounds like they were actually even okay with siding with a little more of the Allies, but maybe that was once they thought the Allies were going to win. But anyway, Spain was neutral right. throughout World War II. Yeah. Also, uh, if people want to check out stuff related to the, uh, the Spanish Revolution, Pan's Labyrinth takes place during uh, the Spanish Civil War. That's right. Good call. Good call. Yeah, I remember from the Botols, but I had forgotten that Pan's Labyrinth was also the event. Okay, so uh, Victor Laszlo, who is Czechoslovakian, and they say he escaped from a concentration camp. And so that was something that wasn't really on my radar. You think of the concentration camps, you think Poland and Germany. And yeah, I think you kind of understand that there were others around, of course. But those are kind of the two main places I always thought of as far as where people were being held in concentration camps. So this guy being Czech was was a little bit of an eye opener to me, and so I kind of want to briefly discuss the history of Czechoslovakia. Um, just uh, <laughs> I know it sounds silly, but uh, we're, we're going to work it in here because we haven't really talked about Czechoslovakia at all, and a lot of those Eastern European countries. So the way, way, way too quick version would be: so obviously the two countries today, Czech Republic and Czechos, sorry, and Slovakia, used to be one country. Uh, called Czechoslovakia that basically existed from 1918 to 1992, except during World War II when it was Nazi-occupied. Nazi it was just kind of called the Protectorate of Bohemia and Moravia. And they did have concentration camps there because it was German-controlled. And so Laszlo was in one of these camps. Um, before it was Czechoslovakia, it was part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. And before the Austrian-Hungarian Empire, it was just part of just the Austrian Empire, 
which was itself kind of an offshoot of the Holy Roman Empire's collapse. Um, and the geography definitely shifts, but roughly speaking, like the Holy Roman Empire didn't actually have much of Czechoslovakia, but as the Austrian Empire and Austrian-Hungarian Empire formed, they kind of took territory more to the east under their purview, and what is now Czechoslovakia, sorry, what was then Czechoslovakia, and now Czech Republic and Slovakia was all part of that area. So there you go, history of Czechoslovakia. <laughs> <laughs> Which, and this was something that I, I think, uh, like the first time that I ever saw this movie, I didn't really realize that, I, I don't know where I developed this notion from, but I, I guess had always thought, oh, well, nobody outside of, you know, like the Nazis knew about concentration camps until after the end of World War II, when they were all liberated by the Russians and the Americans, I guess it never really occurred to me that like people would have known that that was even a thing in 1941 or 1942. So my understanding is it's a little of... It's comp like every like everything. It's complicated, right? And I guess they just didn't necessarily realize the extent of the uh, atrocities. Yes, right. And the and the fact that there were like actual literal death camps where all they did was murder people all day long. Yes, because I, I guess concentration camps had had existed before in history. Right. They yes. I think it was. I mean, it'd be hard. It'd be, I think it'd be impossible to hide the fact that you had rounded up all the Jews. And other undesirables. But I think what you could keep secret longer is what was going on in those camps. I think that's the distinction. The concentration camps... I mean, again, this is a movie that was filmed in 1942. Right. And they mentioned concentration camps. Like, it was not a secret. The secret was, you know, the final solution and the, you know, the actual Holocaust. The actual, you know, murdering and attempt to exterminate the Jewish population. That right. was the secret. Now, and I've also heard, though, too, maybe not as secret as people like to pretend it was. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, they were probably a little more aware than they let on and were turning a little bit of a blind eye because they had, quote unquote, bigger fish to fry. And because the Jews weren't popular even among the allies at the time. Right. So obviously, the Germans and the Nazis were the worst. But anti-Semitism was rampant on both sides of this war. Let's not kid ourselves. But only one side was rounding them up right. and murdering them. So there is a distinction. Yes. Oh, man, what a mess. Okay. And we'll get to obviously that more next week for sure. Okay, I was, was going to catch back up with the plot here. Okay, so basically, Laszlo is trying to convince Rick, who he's all but certain has these passes, to let him have them, buy them, anything, anything you need. And Rick's like, nah. And he's like, well, why not? Ask your wife. Yeah. So then we get then when she comes to and we get we get the whole backstory and we learn what Rick doesn't know. So Rick thought he was basically just a jilted ex lover, and you know she ends up running into this Lazlo guy and marries him and forgets she ever he ever knew Rick. So what Rick did not know is that she was married to Lazlo before she fell in love with Rick. Right. She thought when he got captured and thrown into a concentration camp that he was killed. And, and in her defense, it wasn't just she assumed. No, like the paper said, Laszlo right. has been killed in a concentration camp. And I, I forget who, who he's talking to, but Laszlo's talking to somebody at one point in the movie. And they're like, oh, I had read you've been killed five different times in five different places. Yes, yes. So when Ilsa is having her love affair with Rick in Paris... She thought she was single. Right. And the heartbreaking part of this whole movie is 
Again, everything's mostly implied, but this is very clear. Rick's her soulmate. Rick is who she's in love with. She met Laszlo when she had just moved from Oslo to Paris or wherever in Europe that she met Laszlo. And he was already famous. She was kind of just infatuated and starstruck when she met him. And he was just so neat and so important. And so, of course, she married him when he offered. And she respected him, always respected him, always admired him. But kind of grew to understand she wasn't necessarily like in love with him. She was just kind of in awe and a fan of his who married him young when she didn't know any better. And then when she thinks he's dead, obviously she still mourns him, but then falls in love with Rick and realizes, oh, this is what it means to be in love. This is the relationship, you know, that, you know, romantically you actually want. But then she realizes, oh, crap, right about the time the Germans are coming back, she learns, unbeknownst to Rick, that Laszlo is still alive. So she is actually still married. I need to do the right thing and give up Rick and be with Laszlo. And that's how she had left it. She assumed she would never see Rick again either. Then when they come to Morocco, she runs into Rick. And it gets to the point where she basically even says, you have to let Laszlo go. I'll stay here with you. I'll, you're right. I can't. I don't have the strength to leave you again, Rick, kind of stuff. Right. And so then, oh yeah. So it's, and it's kind of complicated here. And... I almost feel bad about spoiling Casablanca. <laughs> it's it's what is it, seventy five years old? Because the because this last part that we're getting to, like the twists and turns, they're set up so well. Right. Like, right. But again, yeah. You really don't know how they're gonna get out of this. Yeah, right. Oh, man. I've seen it so many times though, it gets better every time. So we'll go ahead and spoil if you don't want Casablanca spoiled. Check back with the rest of this episode later. But yes, so it's almost like this double cross where Rick basically continues to pretend he's the jerk and basically says, "I'm," and he's oh he he he's playing everybody against each other. And ostensibly, his plan is to get out of Casablanca with Ilsa. Him and Ilsa are going to use the passes, and he's going to basically screw Laszlo over. And he's telling Ilsa that's what he's telling. That's what he tells to the to the captain. Correct. To, the, the French the, to, to Claude yeah. Rains, yes. And right. what he's telling Ilsa is, we'll give Laszlo the passes, and you and I will stay in Casablanca. So basically, right. he looks like he's trying... He's, we, as the audience, we are uh, of the mind that he's trying to actually escape. Right. But to get Ilsa to the airport and involved with the escape, he's telling her, we're going to stay and send Laszlo. But then he pulls a double flip. He has a conversation with Laszlo, and he realizes... Laszlo actually offers to sacrifice himself. Laszlo says, you should take Ilsa and get out of here. So him screwing, I guess, Laszlo is actually doing what Laszlo himself suggested. But that's also what makes Rick realize, oh, this guy's the real deal. He's doing important stuff. He's a great guy. I need to do the right thing like I've always done in the past when I was on those good sides in the past and let him continue his work. And to do his work, he needs Ilsa, his wife, by him because she's kind of his his muse in a, in a way i guess for this underground work that he does and so that's where he has the monologue at the end and tells ilsa yep laz is getting on the plane and you're getting on the plane with him and i'm staying here alone because i'm the hero yep. of this movie and it's so freaking cool and you get all the lines associated with that and it does work and they just kind of like so the germans trying to show up and stop it and because captain renault pulls like the hostage rescue uh, deception on Rick when he's like, you know, hey, call the airport and tell them we're coming. We don't want any hassle. And he calls the Nazi guy. And he's like, oh, hello, airport. Yes, I'm coming, you know, to the airport. And, you know, you better have the plane ready or whatever. 
Yeah, the uh, the the Nazi major tries to tries to get there and stop it, and then Rick kills him. <laughs> yeah, Rick he, Rick kills him. Yep. And then when the other Germans show up, the French guy who had betrayed Rick to get the German guy there in the first place basically tells them this guy's been murdered. Round up the usual suspects <laughs> and saves Rick. They're, yeah, they're, well, they're but they're not Germans. They're, they're right. They're the French cops, though. Oh, it was the French cops. Yeah. Oh, okay. They that- show up and. Yeah, and, and he, <laughs> Rick, Rick is literally standing there, gun in hand, in front of the shot-to-death Nazi. He's like, yep, round up the usual suspects. We're like, all right, boys, we know the drill. And they pick him up which and makes, carry him Which away. actually makes more sense, because if they were Germans, they would have been like, uh, no thanks. But they the, fr- just shot but the French guys are also are also corrupt with Claude Rains' character here. Right. And, and just a few other notes. That's the base of the movie, Casablanca. And uh, a few other notes on... Just kind of the little side things within, I don't know, just kind of character things. So, and again, they imply things, but they don't come right out and say them. So, earlier in the movie, it just kind of to show how people are desperate to get out of here. There's this young Bulgarian couple, like newlyweds, and what is strongly implied to the point that it's 100% certainly, but they don't come right out and say it in a film from 1942, is that uh, Claude Rains was like, sure, I'll give you a pass if you sleep with me. Right. And the girl was basically asking Rick, Hey, if I do sleep with him, will he actually follow through and get me out of here, or right. is, is he just going to uh, screw me over? Well, and she also asks him. She's like, you know, does this count as you know a bad thing? If you know, yes, technically I'm cheating on my husband, but it's it's to save you know both of our lives. And- right, and I'll never tell him about it. He'll never know. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, so then Rick basically then because he runs, uh, you know, there's gambling at his uh bar they he basically rigs the one of the the roulette wheel so that the bulgarian husband wins enough to buy their tickets out of there straight up and she doesn't have to sleep with them so again another thing of rick being heroic and the french guy just kind of smugly rolls with it and it's just like man just kind of got in my way again my my romances he calls it my romances like you're gonna rape that girl in exchange for oh my gosh and then and then he tells her he's like he's like well you know you got one over on me this time Rick but tomorrow I'm coming in with a different girl and you better not mess it up. Yes, it's <laughs> yeah. Oh man, and that's also that uh, that whole fixing the roulette wheel. Uh, that's one of the other instances of comedy in this movie when uh, the Nazis they tell Louis to shut down the Rick's casino. And uh, he blows his whistle. He says, you know, this this establishment's closed. And he's like, for what reason? He's like, I'm shocked to find out that there's gambling going on here. The guy walks up. He goes, you're winning, sir. And he's like, yes, thank you very much. All right, everybody out. <laughs> yes, that's, yeah, one of the all-time. That's probably the biggest joke in the whole movie, actually. <laughs> I am shocked, shocked to find out there's gambling in this establishment. You're winning, sir. Oh, yes, thank you. <laughs> uh, okay, so we've covered the movie. It's, it is kind of interesting that this is a World War II movie shot in released during world war ii where the filmmakers don't know the outcome of the war this movie could have existed right. and been screened and won best picture and then the germans won the war like that doesn't, that doesn't change the movie it existed right. in a world where they did not know the outcome and i always find that fascinating and this is even this is like i mean this is only 1942 really there the the war in europe was kind of in its infancy the, on the Pacific side, you know, you had the, the island hopping campaign was kind of getting started at this time, too. But, you know, the, I mean, this was like two years pre-D-Day even. Like, there were no major right. allied operations in Europe yet. Right, 
yeah, the uh, the film itself was two years pre, and then it's set even a little bit before that. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it is yeah. kind of interesting how quick it happens. So basically, it's set in December and basically filmed the following summer. So it is kind of neat how contemporary it was. And I think the studio system just moved faster back then. And what I had heard always on Casablanca is with the studio system, it was almost just like movie factories. Like so much was done on sets. So much was done, you know, on contract where you were contracted to do a certain number of movies for a certain studio. And I'd always heard that Casablanca was just, yep, it was one of the 50 movies they put out that year, made it in a month. And they didn't necessarily realize it was special until it was released and all then they got the critical acclaim. Like it did get initial critical acclaim and obviously won, you know, won all the Oscars right off the bat. But as they were making it, they were kind of, they didn't really realize they were making something so special and so lasting. Right. Which, they, which is, they weren't setting out to make a masterpiece. It just kind of turned out to be that way. Right. Which I guess you rarely are, but I don't think they even saw it as like, Hey, this is probably something better than everything else we just made this year. But yeah, it, it, uh, it decidedly was. So, again, probably no reason to get into more World War II stuff because we are going to continue, if you'll join us next week, with uh, Schindler's List, the 1993 Oscar winner for Best Picture. <laughs> 